Okay, welcome to our class 10 now of our journey to the selfless self, as Hashem. And um, this class, we're getting now to the end of, we know we've got two sections going on. We've got our about being human that we got through, and now we're trying to work out what it means to be Jewish. So we're now in the fourth class of being Jewish. Um, so we're this class is called Divine Unity and God's dwelling below. Okay, so we've taken, I've taken, like I've tried to take some incredibly complex ideas from Kabbalah Hasidus, and I've tried, we'll see if I'm successful, I've tried to make them very relatable and and um, and applicable and um, and understandable. So we'll see how we go. Okay, so... We're told that there are two levels of unity. Okay, we have Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. That's one level, and then we have Bruch Shem Kavod Malchusoy Lamboed. That's the second level. We've got what's called the higher level of unity in Kabbalah language. It's called Yichid Elah, which means in Aramaic higher unity, and then we have what's called Yichid Tata, which means the lower level unity. Okay. Um, we can compare it to a seed and a tree. Now, really, a seed and a tree are like the same thing when you think about it. A tree comes from a seed, and then seeds come from a tree. They're, but the tree somehow, in some miraculous way, is contained within the seed, yeah? You plant an orange seed, you end up with an orange tree. You plant an apple seed, you end up with an apple tree. So somehow, the tree is contained within that seed, yeah? Now, when you take a seed, it's interesting because, you know, I don't know if you've heard. Can you hear me okay? Everyone can hear me okay? So um, they one of the things they've spoken about, I've heard people talk about, is that a seed will rot in the ground. And then just as it's about to, like, kind of disappear, it sprouts, yeah? It's not true. That's not how it works. It, well, kind of it is. But if you look at an apple seed, you know it's brown, yeah? And if you use your nails and you, you could pick open the brown bit and then inside there's like this holy like white thing, just like this white singularity. Yeah. So when they talk about the seed um, um, disintegrating in the ground, really what happens is the black or the, the black or the brown part of the seed disintegrates in the ground. And then the white part just starts to grow. Nothing happens to the white part. That white part is always as it is. So within that white part, yeah, and, and you know what I'm talking about, yeah? Like you could break it open with your nails and you could like keep breaking it and it, you, it's just white. It's just white. That's a moshal for Yehide Elah. Just white. Everything's there, but nothing's there. It's nothing and it's everything. Like white light, as we've spoken about light before, yeah? White light contains all the colours of the rainbow, all the colours of the spectrum, um, but it's just white light. You can't, like, pick it open and look for colours. Somehow, everything, all the colours of the rainbow are contained within white light in some miraculous way, but white light is just white light. So that's Yehudi Ilah, very easy. Very simple. I mean, we can't, you know, to say you get your head around it, you can't do that. Meaning that all of reality at some point is just one. 
That's it. That's when we talk about Shema. And that's when we talk about why why do we think about Messias Nefesh? About self-sacrifice. Because that's really the response to a complete unity is the giving up of myself on a physical, like visceral level. If there's only one, then what am I doing here? So that's why self-sacrifice and uh, and Kriya Shema are linked together. That the idea of of uh, the first verse of Kriya Shema, which is the Yehuda Ilah. But really, what this class is about is about the Yehuda Tatar, which is a much more complex subject, much more interesting, and much more applicable. Just give me about twelve seconds. Um, okay, so the lower unity. Um, I want you to imagine something, yeah? It's not very nice, but you walk into your kitchen and there's like a line of ants. You know what I'm talking about? That, that dreaded line of ants and you're like, oh my days, this is terrible, yeah? So you know what that line of ants is? It's really interesting because if you read... We're going to be talking about a lot of biology here, by the way, and company structure and stuff. We're not going to be talking about very Kabbalah things. There's no mushalim of of uh, old kings and stuff. It's very it's very like modern day stuff. But if you read any books on on uh, any biology books on ants, yeah, no one ant can kind of go it alone. You've got like nurse the the nurse ants. You've got the soldiers. You've got the foragers. You've got the um, you've got the the king or the queen or whatever it is. They all they've all got a different purpose, and if it was to, if they were just the warriors, yeah, then they wouldn't be able to eat any food because all they know how to do is just like kill everyone. And if it was just the guys, the foragers who get the food, yeah, then they'd just get eaten by the predators. And if it was just the nurses, there wouldn't be anything to do because there'd be no food. There'd be no other. An ant colony is completely dependent. Every ant is dependent on every other ant. So when you read one of these biology books, that concerning line of ants that you see in your kitchen is spoken about as like a tentacle from the ant nest. The ant colony is spoken of as one thing. You with me? So like an octopus, you can imagine, like, an, like we're in the Parshas, you know, I don't know if you've read the Midrashim, there was like this in the in Oiv with the, with the mixed, with the mixed animals, there was like this thing with like long tentacles that would put his hands through chimneys and stuff, whatever. But, but that's really how they, that's really how, um, how, how the biologists look at an ant colony. It's a single organism, but it's just made of lots of little ants. You with me? So how different is that to you? Because you realize that you're made of trillions, 50 odd trillion cells. They're all stuck together and they all form you. And no one cell could go it alone. One cell by itself would be dead in a, you know, in, in a matter of seconds, depending, whatever. But when you stick them all together, 
they all work with each other and then you've got the respiratory system and the digestive system and the cardiovascular system and the nervous system and the endocrine system and all the different systems and it means that you've got the oxygen getting supplied to them and the and the water they need and all the amino acids and all the kind of stuff that they need so you kind of just work you with me so really what's the difference between you and an ant colony is it's really just kind of like a din on how kind of tightly compressed they are. <laughs> if you can think of a cell like an ant, yeah, it's just the ants are kind of spread out. If you had to smush them all together, mummish, yeah, then you end up with a person. Like each cell could be compared to an ant in a sense. You with me? So now as a photographer, I'm very blessed to have this profession as a photographer because there's a lot of really helpful mashalim that come from it, helpful analogies. And um, well, well, before before we talk about the assistant, let, let's just talk about the idea. I think we mentioned this before. Okay, to say that I am my hand, we can't say that I am my hand. Yeah, you're not your hand. You have a hand. Your hands are of you. Okay. So if I was to if I was to hit somebody with my hand, then obviously I'm culpable for that. But my hand, I could lose a hand, Chaz Shalom, and I wouldn't be less, I just wouldn't have a hand, but it doesn't affect me as who I am. And if I was to, let's take, take, go a step further, yeah, and I was to use a stick in my hand, and I'd hit somebody with a stick in my hand, obviously, again, I'm still culpable. And even if I was to, like, use a stick to, like, knock a, a, a boulder off of a hill and it, damage someone's car. So now I'm using my hand, which is holding a stick that moved a boulder that damaged someone's car. I'm still 100% culpable. What, what, do you understand the question here? What, what's actually going on? The question's really, where do I, where do I end? It, it, it's obviously not just this, my body, where do I end? And what does it mean that I'm doing? What does it mean that I'm culpable? So it's a very good example is within a system, as a photographer, yeah? As a photographer within a system, the way you, the way you form the light on the person's face is a very, it's very exacting. Um, and literally, you know, moving the thing by even fractions of an inch can make the difference between like a, you know, a clumsy picture and, and a very sophisticated picture. Okay. So when you have an assistant, you're basically like, the way I do it is I use my hand to like mimic the umbrella and I kind of move my hand like this and the assistant turns the umbrella. And, and the longer I've had my assistant for, the more we're synced in, the more he's able to gauge exactly. And he'll be, I'll be able to basically maneuver him without actually touching him and without even saying much i'll just be using my hand whatever to within literally millimeters and very 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 precise so that's called an organization you're an organism yeah your body's an organism what's the difference between an organization and an organism An organism is alive. An organization? It's more, well, I mean, the way I think of it is more of like a thing. No, it doesn't. I mean, an organization is usually made a lot of people know they're alive. 
that you could, in a sense, say an organization is alive, in a sense. There's really not much difference. It's the doing of the organism. It's the what? The doing? It's the effect. It's the effect. Well, an organization, an organism we refer to as like a single entity. Like my body is an organism. Yeah. An organization is more like an ant colony made of disparate, fragmented parts. But, but it's really an illusion that there's something different. It's only an illusion in space. Really, they're very, very similar. Maybe in, on an abstract level, maybe they're even identical. Okay? So with me and my, my assistant, that's the beginning of an, organi an organization. Now, what happens is when I'm telling my assistant to do this or do that, what's happening is my rutson is leaving me, so to speak, leaving my body, and it's going into him. And in a sense, it's overwhelming him. And I'm so to speak, so to speak, living through him. I'm I am expressing myself through him. Just the same way as I'm expressing myself through my hand and I wave at you. Or when I take the stick and I and I hit the water. Yeah. Or when I whatever I'm doing, if I knock the boulder off, that's my will. That's my will going through the system, going through the organization and expressing itself in whichever part of the organization it is. So the um a great a great way to see this, this is very interesting. Um I'm gonna just share my screen with you in a minute. So I did this today. I've wanted to do this for many years. And I did it today. Oh, one minute. Anyone see this? Everyone can see this okay? Yes. Yeah? Okay. So you heard of Larry Page? So really him and another guy owns Google, but let, let's just, we're, we're going to talk about Larry, Okay. Now, there's a company called Alphabet Inc., which is basically the father company, the parent company of Google with a bunch of other companies. You can imagine how big a company it is. So Larry Page is sitting. He's the owner of Alphabet Inc., okay? Alphabet Incorporated. Now, Alphabet Incorporated own a bunch of businesses. I've selected five. These are subsidiary businesses, DeepMind Technologies, Waymo, Google, et cetera. Yeah. Now, what I've done here, if you can see, is I've kept choosing the middle one. So basically, Alphabet breaks down into five subsidiary businesses and each business breaks down into services and products. Now, I've just chosen Google. You see that? You see, is it make, does that make sense? So the same thing is happening with Waymo, DeepMind Technologies, Calico, CyberGlass. They're all splitting off into endless even at this point in our table, yeah, we've already gone, okay? But so I'm just selecting the middle one, each one, it's in capitals and it's bolded, yeah? So, so Google breaks down into a bunch of different services and products, okay? Android, Gmail, YouTube, Ways, Google Ads, okay? Now I've taken YouTube and we've just, we, YouTube breaks down into five divisions, okay? Content creator relations, product development and user experience, et cetera technical support 
okay? And I've taken technical support. That breaks down into five departments, okay? Uh, the one that I've taken of those departments is data management and storage solutions. Okay, from data management and storage solution, that breaks down into five faculties, okay? Storage engineering faculty, data processing and, and analytics faculty, which breaks down into the uh, breaks down into five units, data engineering unit, et cetera, data quality management unit, user behavior analytics unit, which breaks down into teams. We've chosen the viewer engagement analysis team, which breaks down into resources, which is office space, equipment and tools, people, personnel, I think I spelled that wrong, software and analytic tools, collaboration, et cetera. The personnel break down into people, Jenny, Tom, Gary, Sandra, and Stephen. I made those names up, okay? Now, this is just an interesting thing because can I ask you a question? Would you say that you would say that Alphabet, would this be a correct thing to say? Alphabet Incorporated is one. Is that a correct statement? Well, let's, let's get rid of Alphabet. Let's talk about Google. Google is one. Is that a correct statement, a full statement, or a nonsense statement? Can't hear you. You can't hear me? Can you hear me now? Yeah? Is, is Google one? Yes. Yeah, it is one. Yeah, it just has many facets, but it's one. Parts to it. Could you say that YouTube is one? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then could you say that the division, the technical support division is one? Yes. Yeah, and yes. onward, and onward, and onward, and onward, and onward, until we get to Gary. And for oh, sure, by Gary, we can say that he's one, yeah? Okay. Yes. okay. Now, this is going to get really interesting. So now we've divided Gary into five biological systems, okay? We've got his skeletal system, his muscular system, digestive system, nervous system, cardiovascular system, yeah? We've chosen his, di his digestive system, which breaks down into a stomach, small intestine, mouth, colon, pancreas, the, the, I've only chosen five. These go on for much more, yeah? So now his mouth, yeah, that's an organ. Now the mouth divides into teeth, palate, tongue, salivary glands, lips and cheeks, yeah? Now we've taken the tongue. The tongue breaks down into components of mus the muscular structure, the pa uh, papillae is like um, whatever, taste buds, uh, lingual fren frenulum, dorsal and ventral surfaces, yeah? Now we've gone with taste buds, okay? Taste buds break down into, et cetera, et cetera, taste, taste receptor cells. Yeah, the taste receptor cells now uh, deal with three different kinds of cells, salt receptors, receptor base cells, sour receptors, synaptic cells, et cetera, yeah? This is on a cellular level. Now we've broken down the cell into organelles. Yeah, the, or, the, the cell, is composed of like mini organs. They're called organelles, yeah? Cytoplasm, the cell membrane, the nucleus, that's like the brain of the cell, the mitochondria, and the, endoplas the endoplasmic reticulum. I used to know what these things are. I can't remember anymore. Okay, the nucleus now breaks down 
into its components. There's a nuclear envelope, which like enclose, which really enclose the DNA. Yeah, the DNA is inside the inside the uh, nucleus. Yeah, and within the DNA now, we've gone into a level of molecules. Okay, molecules. We've got the DNA double helix structure. The fossil, we've got the nucleotides, yeah, which now break down. This is basically molecules, which breaks down into atoms. We've got phosphorus atoms, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon atoms. We've taken an oxygen atom and we've gone to neutrons, electrons, protons, etc. It keeps going. Yeah. I just saved you the, the hassle. Just to put what electro what an electron is into, into perspective, yeah. Listen to this. Take a paper clip, yeah, one paper clip, which weighs about a gram. You would have to have what um, basically 10 octillion, which means one followed by 28 zeros of electrons to weigh the same as a paper clip. One with 28 zeros, yeah? The point is that an electron is very, very, very small, okay? Now, if you look at this, what we've done here, the whole way through, as Mrs. Blumenberg said before, with all of these things, they were all one. We could we could call the user behavior analytics unit one, the viewer engagement analysis team one, the personnel is one, Gary is one, his digestive system is one, his mouth is one, his tongue is one, a taste bud is one, a taste receptor cell is one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You see what we've done is we're showing. Now we just said that Larry Page is one, yeah? Or Alphabet is one, Larry Page is definitely one. Now what happens is his will, so to speak, flows through this entire system. Like imagine, you know, like those chocolate fountains, you know, at the Bermitzvahs, where it pours over and it all flows over. That's what happens with Larry Page's Rotson. Just like when I command my hand to hit the stick on the rock, my Rotson flows to all of those things. And like with my assistant, when I'm telling my assistant, move left, move right, do this, do that, my Rotson is flowing through his, his avarim, his limbs, that's on a microscopic level. This is the same idea. When you get a package from Amazon, yeah, in a sense, in a very real sense, it's like Jeff Bezos is like handing you a package. I know it's like that guy, you know, the, the guy, you know, whoever, the guy who's bringing it over, yeah? But really, he's just like my hand. He's just like Jeff Bezos's hand, just a few steps quite a few steps further away. Are you with me? Because if not for his coordination from the beginning, it wouldn't have happened. It, it, he's flowing through the entire system. That's what is called the rush. The rush flows through the entire system. That's why it's called the Russia Teva. Yeah, the Russia Tavus means the first, you know what a Russia Tavus is? Like the first letters of the word. That really contains the whole word. The Russia and Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, we know that everything's determined on Rosh Hashanah. It's just like unpacked the rest of the year. That's the concept of the Rosh. Okay, so you're clear with this. Now, this is an important idea. So it means that this is the lower unity, that on every level, 
there's a yichud, but that yichud is composed of a myriad of parts. And it's of a myriad of parts. Let me show you a picture that really describes this beautifully. You see what that is? It's a tree. Look at look at the look at the, the the analogy. Do you see how what we just said is kind of the diagram of a tree? You've got the trunk. This is YouTube, yeah. But YouTube is with Gmail and AdWords and Waze and etc. Yeah, it's one of many. But YouTube is one. But YouTube divides into endless parts. It's the picture of a tree. You with me? It's a unity sandwiched between two multiplicities. Let's look at this again one minute. You get the idea how we compare it to a tree? That each part of this of this graph is a singularity assuming well, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's of a multiplicity and it divides into endless parts, which is exactly the analogy of a tree. And trees are everywhere always. Whenever you look at a tree, this is one of the most fundamental Kabbalistic um, ideas being given to you in diagram form every single time you step outside your house or you look outside your window. It's not possible, literally it's not possible in this world to be outdoors without seeing a tree somewhere. Trees are everywhere. And that's the moshal for this. Now, look at this. Let's go a step further. Now we just went all the way down, yeah? But now what is alphabet, yeah? Larry Page and alphabet was part um, was it divides into endless pieces, yeah? Is Alphabet part of a bigger organization? Didn't we say it was part of Larry Page? Well, no, Larry Page, let's say Larry Page and Alphabet is the same thing. We'll just call it Alphabet. Alphabet is Alphabet Incorporated is a massive, massive company. Is that company part of a bigger organization or not? Because you would think it would make sense, wouldn't you? That we went down Google, YouTube, and it keeps splaying out. But is there a top that doesn't, that's not part of anything. That's just Alphabet is its own thing. Alphabet divides into Google and Waymo and Calico, and then Google divides into Gmail, Android, YouTube, YouTube into technical support, et cetera, et cetera. Is, is, um, is Alphabet part of a larger organization? There needs to be- Yes, it's part of the world. Yeah. Who said there that? Needs be, there needs to be a need for the company. Sorry? There needs to be a need for the company, otherwise. A need for the company. Well, that the I mean, the company in its sense is its its own need in a set. Like you're right, but you're that's too you're you're jumping ahead in a sense. But just a regular person just continues to live. Yeah, like a lot of people don't have a reason to live. They don't have a 
purpose in their life. Yeah, and they're just happy living. So that's the same with a company. It just wants to grow. So it doesn't really need a, 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 a context or a mission in that sense. Just to continue to grow is enough of a mission, just like a regular human being. It's enough of a reason to be alive just to continue growing. You with me? Well, wouldn't it stop growing if there isn't a need? Uh, not necessarily, no. I mean, well, it think about supply and demand. That idea. It need, it, well, it needs it needs to be able to have somewhere to grow, but that doesn't come from above. That's that's it's that's what its market share is. That's what it's doing. But look at this: if we put Alphabet next to Microsoft, Meta, which was Facebook, yeah, Apple, and Amazon, what what are they a part of? Different companies. Are they? That could be like the. Do they are they part of something together? You wouldn't think so. They're like antagonistic. They hate each other. They're trying to, they're competing with each other, yeah. But look, watch this. They actually come under the can you see this here? Yeah. They come under the, the Department of Commerce. You've got the Department of Defense. Who can tell me what's going to be above this line up here? You've got Department of Health and Human Services. Department of Commerce, Department of Education, Department of Homeland Security. What would be above this one here, Department of Commerce? The government. Exactly. United States of America. That is an organization. Mumbush. You with me? Now, at this point, these parts are not connected in any way. You've got the United States, you've got United Kingdom, China, India, Russia. Yeah, they hate each other, they like each other, but they're not, they're not, you know, they have parasitic relationships with each other or whatever. They don't talk to each other, who knows? What would be above here? The continents. Sorry? I said continents. Yeah, but that's more like geographic. That's like more, uh, it's not to do like conceptual. So you could uh, put the UN. Sorry? UN. Um, well, that wouldn't cover Russia. And even if there was, let's say UN and whatever, you're right. But but basically at this point of history, it ends here. You know what we're waiting for is this bit here. This is the Indian of Mashiach. Mashiach is a king. Melech Mashiach. And he is listening to Reboyne Shoilam. And he will be ruling Yisrael. And all of these countries will be taking Eitzah from him. And all of, the, all of the departments of each country will be listening to this. And this will be flowing down into the companies, down through YouTube, They'll probably get rid of YouTube. Down through all of this, down through into the individual people, into his digestive system, his mouth, his tongue, his taste buds, down to the nucleus, down to the nucleotides, into the atoms, into the electrons. That's called Malchus Shemayim. That's what we're waiting for. You with me? Israel is on top of the United States of America? Absolutely. But Melech Mashiach is going to be running Yisrael. We're not talking about Medina Yisrael. We're talking about we're talking about Yisrael. 
we're talking about we're talking about the uh, the Malchus based David. Yeah, Melech Mashiach is a king. He's really an educator. He's really an educator. He's also going to be a king. He's going to re-educate the whole world, Mamash. And I think we're going to see that that's going to take place a lot with AI. That's just my own thoughts. But anyway, this so that's going to be when Yisrael are at yeah, they ask Hashem. That's that's what it means. Um, that he's going to be teaching us the das of Hashem. Well, that that that's that. Mm, yeah, they're definitely bound up with each other. I'm not sure if that's referred. This is this is the this is called um this is called the 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 Hashlama of Malchus Shemayim. Malchus Shemayim we translate as kingdom of heaven, yeah. You realize that kingdom is just like an old word for organization. A kingdom is an organization. That's what it is. That's what this whole world is meant to be, a single organism slash organization, whatever you want to call it. And it's all going to be run. Now, now this is what this is the, the, the point of the whole thing is how does it work? How comes Google is so geschmack? How, how did Google do what they did? How did they like take over the world? How did they create such a strong company? Well, it's what Mrs. Blumenberg was saying. There's a need. There's that's a need. No, not, there's lots of things that were need. No, how did Google create such a strong company? What did Google do? There's, there's for sure there's a need, but there could be needs and, you know, the company. What, what was it that made Google just such an impressive company that allowed them to expand and diversify in such a way? They had a mission statement. Yeah. And what did that mission statement? Innovate. You know what Google did, which all the great companies do, is they get their employees to identify with them. The employees become the company. They 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 do a tremendous job in erasing the lines between where the person feels like a person and the person feels like part of the company. If you look at the Google offices, yeah, you'll see the whole thing is aimed at making the employees lose their identity in Google. They become Googlers, whatever you want to call them. You with me? By the way, we want to try and help our children do that in our own organizations, which are families. They're also organizations. That's something we want to try and help them do as well. Identify with our family. Very important. But but Google, I mean... They don't want them to lose their own identity either. But, but you're right. But a very strong part of their identity should be of the family. You're right. They should. But this is the important point. There's nothing wrong really with identifying with something in that you don't lose... See... Everyone thinks when we talk about bittle, yeah, we talk about nullification. Everyone starts going, oh, no, that, you know, and I can't, you know, think about zombies walking around just, you know, that's absolutely nothing to that's self nullification or bittle. I don't even use the word bittle anymore because it's just got such a bad rap. It's got nothing to do with becoming a zombie whatsoever. Zero. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Bittle is about 
discovering your unique talents and skills and resources and uncovering exactly what makes you absolutely unique, but you're just not using it for selfish purposes. All of your skills and talents and resources, etc., are being drafted into his project, Isbarach. That's what Bittle means. And what's your most prized, most individual resource? What would you call that? By most people. Torah. Torah. Everyone says something different. <laughs> Mrs. Silver said Torah. You said Torah? Your own per no, your own personal Ratzon. Your Ratzon, that's really the bit that you're trying to give up. <laughs> that's the bit that you're trying to give up. I'm trying to let your go intellect. That's my agenda. Your intellect, you're getting there. The word we use for it is your personality. It's not about giving up your personality. It's about giving over your personality. <laughs> you don't give it up. You're meant to draft. That's the most precious gift you can give to Hashem. Meaning you're not, you're not getting rid of it. You're using it. You're drafting it into avoid us Hashem. So if you're a very elevated, uh, you know, lit up speaker, then go out and talk to it with people. Chizuk, give them chizuk. If you're a very kind of, sincere devoted person and draft that personality into into chesed wherever you find the mitzvah wherever you can fit it into a mitzvah wherever you can fit your own personal something or other into a mitzvah yeah that's called bittle so it's got nothing at all to becoming zombie-like in any way shape or form it's the exact opposite in fact you you become the most individual person you can you 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 try to catalyze and to develop your unique skills and abilities to the nth degree and you've got much more of a reason to like we've said before what, what let, let me ask you a question ladies how much do you exert yourself yeah to make yourself lunch on a thursday you know make yourself lunch on a thursday afternoon when no one's around how much energy do you put into your lunch? Very little. Very little. Yeah, everyone agrees. I try not to. I mean, I try to put. I try to put effort. Well, let me. Well, what about when your parents come to visit? Yeah, a little more energy, a little more effort. Sure. Or friends come for a dinner party, a little more effort. Yeah, or Shabbos, a lot more effort. Why? Because now you're working for someone else. You only push yourself so far for yourself. And I'll tell you, if a person's really pushing themselves far for their own pleasure, yeah, there's a, there's, there's a problem there. That's not Poseidon. Okay, it should be like that. When there's no one around, yeah, not that you should eat bad food or whatever, but you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be, uh, you know, maybe every now and again, but, but you shouldn't be pushing yourself to give yourself the most amazing experience. But when there's other people involved, then you see yourself, you push yourself. And that's that's why when you when you really enter into Avodah Hashem, your personality becomes even more potent because it's not about you anymore. It's about developing myself for him. You with me? So you push much further and you become much more individualistic. Like you listen to all the great rabbis at the time. They were very, uh, they were very, uh, they were Yehidim. How do you say that? They were very like individual in their, 
outlook and in their skills and in their personalities, etc. In fact, you see the higher people go in the Yiddish world, the more individual they become. That's exactly the point. So now let's finish off by talking about the Dir Batachtoinim. So really, we everyone's heard that, that phrase before, Dir Batachtoinim. It means the a dwelling place in the lower realms. That's what in, in Chabad Sfarim it brings from a, from a Medrash. That, that's why Hashem made the world. He wanted a dira b'tachtoyim. He wanted a dwelling place in the lower world. Now, dira sounds a bit like a kind of dormitory, yeah, like a, an apartment. Yeah, like, you know, what's it called? Um, uh, like sharing a apartment with a bunch of bunch of your friends. Yeah? Bunch of bachelors, yeah. Bunch of, that's what it sounds like, yeah? A dorm. A dorm. dorm. It's not that bichlal. A dira means a home. And a home is made of a husband and a wife. That's what Dir B'tachtoinim means. Now, the point of what we were getting to before when we said, when we looked at all the different levels, and I asked, what is it that made that made Google so successful? Is that they got they got everyone on the team, all 161,000 of their employees, to identify with the company. That's called Bittle. But they did it in a way that they didn't end up with zombies. They ended up with these individual people who were giving their most prized possessions, meaning their creativity, their personality, their energy, the most vital energies that they had. That's what Google were able to tease out of people. Same with Apple, Microsoft, all the big businesses. They were able to get people to become bottle to their system. And that's what creates the unity. Now, when you have a piece in the puzzle that has its own agenda, not bottled to the system, what would that be called in an organism if a cell develops its own agenda? Cancer. Yeah. That is cancer. Cancer is a cell that develops its own individual agenda that is not in line with the agenda of the organism. And that works on an organizational level as well. When you've got, imagine what would happen if you've got, you know, all of the, uh, which team, let's choose one. If you've got everybody in the, um, in the viewer engagement analysis team, yeah? They just start playing computer games all day and, and schmoozing by the water fountain. Yeah, the whole thing will break down. I I had that feeling one time I, when I was a kid. I washed uh, dishes in a uh, in a in a, a hospital, like a private hospital in London. I was just the dishwasher. I was the lowest of the low. Yeah, it was like there was, I was the bottom of the organisation, mamash. And it was kind of demoralising. You just take this thing, you put it in, you close it, you get puffed with boiling hot steam, sweat, and then you take it out, and then again, and then again. And again, and it just doesn't end. You're just doing this the whole day, schwitzing, dripping with sweat. With oh, it just stinks in the back of the kitchen. Oh, it was horrible, yeah. And I remember, I just I started thinking one time. I was like, what would happen if I went on strike? Forget the fact they'd be able to find somebody to replace me. But my job, what would happen if the dishwasher in a hospital 
went on strike. Within a few hours, the entire hospital would grind to a halt. The entire hospital would grind to a halt. Within a few hours, yeah, there would be no clean dishes. That means there'd be no food. There'd be no way of the, the staff eating. They'd all get angry. The patients wouldn't be able to eat. Within, within a few hours, the hospital would be on its mama's knees. And that gave me such a, a chizuk. I was like, this whole organization is on my shoulders. And I started doing it with a lot. <laughs> it gave me a big chizuk, you know what I'm saying? If there's a piece in a company that isn't imperative to the company, then if it's a good company, they'll probably get rid of it. So every single part of the organization is completely essential in a good company. But the whole thing is predicated on bittle. And that's exactly what we were talking about, we've said many times now, between a man and his wife. The marriage, that's, that's the concept of marriage. Your rotson is more real to me than my rotson. And your rotson is more real to me than my rotson. That's, that's a marriage. Yeah, when both of you are bottle to the other one. Now, that is exactly the concept of dear betachtoinim. That's exactly what, why the, the idea of the unity of God and dear betachtoinim are so bound up with each other. Now, the reason is because it's not good enough to say that your husband is the best guy. To a woman, your husband is the only guy. And to a man, his wife is not the best lady. She's the only woman there is. There's only one. It's not that she's the best of all the women. There's only one. There is no other. There are no other women. And to a lady, there are no other men. That's a marriage. That's the reason why Yichud Hashem is so important to us Jews. Because we are his wife. Am Yisrael is called the Shechina, the source of Knesset Yisrael. The source is called Knesset Yisrael, which is the Shechina. And this whole world is about a yichud, a union, a marriage between the Kodesh Baruch Hu and the Shechina. That's called the Deir B'Tach when Yisrael and Hashem tie the knot, so to speak. And that's why we're so caught up in this concept of Yichud Hashem, Hashem Echad. Because it's not like God is the best of all gods or the, power, the most powerful of all gods. There's only him. That's called a marriage. Just how it is with our, just how it is with our spouses. There is no other. Like with Hashem, there is no other. There's not like Hashem and economics, or there's not like Hashem and golf. There's just Hashem, and everything fits into that context, and that's called Deir B'tachtoinim. So, I just want to, I'm going to just bring one, one last moshal up, which is going to help us work out how this all work, how, how this all takes place. There is an, a termite in, um, in Africa, called the bellicose termite. Everyone's heard of that? I'm joking. I'm sure you haven't. Yeah, a bellicose termite, okay? They live in, in uh, colonies of about one and a half million, okay? Now, they're really interesting 
because they basically build this structure. In fact, I'm going to show you some pictures here. This is really amazing. Really amazing. One minute. Everyone can see this? So this thing goes above the ground. It can go like, like uh, you know, 15 feet above the ground. They can be or even bigger, 20 feet above the ground, yeah? But that's really just, that's just like the nice looking bit. The real, the real thing going on is down here. Yeah, this is underneath the ground. Now, the, the funky thing about these termites is that they eat wood, yeah? but they can't actually eat wood. What they need to do is there's this fungus that grows that kind of, um, you know, like you ever chewed the food for your kid so the kid could, so your kid could eat the food or, you know, or you smush it up, whatever, so the child can eat, a baby can eat the food. Yeah, the fungus kind of softens the wood so that the, the termites can eat it. And the funny thing is that this fungus needs to, uh, it needs to grow. It needs exactly 30 to 31 degrees Celsius for it to grow. Now, the problem is in Africa, it's so hot. And in the middle of this colony with all the, with all the millions of ants, yeah, termites, that that temperature would be impossible to maintain. What these, what these crazy little termites do, I'm not even gonna get into it, yeah? But they create such a system, such an architectural wonder that with the different openings and stuff, the air blows in in the certain direction that it's in. The air circulates in a certain way that it circulates and it keeps this area just here exactly between 30 and 31 degrees Celsius. That allows this fungus to to flourish whatever and it processes the wood and now the termites have got something to eat do you see what this is this isn't just like a big a big like yeah look, look at that it just looks like a big rock yeah but this is so complex that look at this check this out i found this um they actually built using the using the technology the engineering of this termite colony in South Africa recently, they actually built a building using the same concept, yeah, that runs through, that basically keeps the building cool. These are the plans for the building, yeah? And it is based on this, this termite nest. Doesn't that just blow your mind? I'm just going to read you something as well here. Okay, so you ever heard of David Attenborough? He's like an English, like wildlife guy. Okay, listen to this. It just, it just, just listen to what he says. Okay, if the dimensions of such a net, this is talking about this nest of these termites, yeah. If the dimensions of such a nest were translated into human terms, with each worker termite being considered the size of a human being, then this amazing fortress would stand a mile high. If we were to start on a building of such magnitude, which we have not yet attempted, it's easy to imagine the army of architects 
and engineers, the volumes of plans, the batches of computers, the regiments of construction machinery that we would require. Yet these million or so termites build their equivalent, working in a coordinated way in total darkness, each blind, tiny-brained insect knowing exactly where to place its pellets of mud to produce nurseries, supporting pillars, living chambers, gardens, flues, defensive walls, and that extraordinary spiral cooling system. As with many of the buildings constructed by animal architects, we really have very little idea how they do it. Basically, each one of those termites has absolutely no idea what he's doing. We'll go back, remember we spoke about the, uh, the line of ants in your kitchen? Lower Leno, yeah? So every now and again, you'll see that they're like carrying like massive things, yeah? Sometimes they're like carrying like a little, like a little twig or a piece of mud. They're carrying stuff, yeah? That's what these guys do. They go out of the nest, they pick up a piece of mud, they walk back to the nest and they kind of stick it on the wall. And then they go back and they do it again and they stick it on the wall. They get... None of them have any idea what's going on. Do you realize, like, what, what are you thinking right now? How do you think that happens? How do you think they build this, this, this engineering feat that's so impressive that human beings took from such in, innovative thinking and created their own? How could they do that, these tiny-brained, blind, m little ants? How could they do such a thing? They identify themselves as well as. But what, where does the information come? How do they know to put the pellet there? How do they know to go out and come back and then put it there? You with me? It's the same way as your body knows how to do this. How does your body know to be stuck together in the way it's stuck together? How do atoms know to be stuck together in the way they're stuck together? No one has the answer to that. Because that's the Reboinishloidum. That's the Reboinishloidum. And, and that is where we're trying to get to. Remember we spoke about silence so much, about listening to other people? You know what the real, the real blessing that comes with genuine silence is that you start to hear the Reboinishloidum's instructions just like those ants, the Havdil, and just like all animals that don't have any kind of analytical mind going like that the whole time. Should I do this? Should I do that? What about this? What about that? Well, I don't know. What about, what will he think? What will she think? Will it work? Will it not work? I'm scared. I love it. I'm... If, if, if we can get rid of those voices, you'll see that you will actually become, in a sense, the Havdil, like one of those little termites, knowing exactly what to do. There won't be any more spakers left and you won't be making decisions based on thinking or that certain decisions might be made on thinking, but those decisions will be super quick and easy to make. But you will start feeling guided by the Reboinishloidum. That's the difference between animals and humans is because animals don't have a analytical mind they are in tune with the Reboinishloilam's, what we call the Kol Damamadaka. Everyone's heard of that phrase before? 
the slight, what do you call it? The slight still voice. The slight still voice. The cold, the mama ducker. That's what we can actually end up hearing. So everything else is kind of like practice. Yeah, we're listening to our children. We're listening to our husbands. We're listening to our, whoever we're listening to, we're listening to them. Every person, we should be silent. But that's kind of, in a sense, practice for the real silence, which then means we're actually able to intuit what the Rabboni Shalom needs for us. And then it all kind of just takes place by itself. You with me? Yeah, but then again, he created his focus. He created the doubt. He created it all. Mm. So he wants, despite the struggle, and but he understands the struggle. The the but the, that's what I'm trying to say is that the struggle is the struggle is created. I'm not even going to say usually. The struggle is 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 created by our analytical minds. Yeah, but he created the analytical mind. A hundred percent. Okay, he also created bacon. There's a lot of things that he created, but the, the goal is to use our analytical mind, not to be used by our analytical mind. This is the point. It's the same with technology. The iPhone is a wonderful, marvelous piece of technology that you can do amazing things with when you're the master of it. But when it becomes your master, then that's, that's where the problems fall in. So our analytical mind is a, is a tool, just like our personality is a tool. Like all of this stuff, it's all tools that we have to serve the creator with. But just like the natural world is in sync on a level beyond thinking, the ants don't think, and they know exactly where to put the pellet to create this architectural marvel mamush we can get to that place as well it's mamush available to us it really is available to us i promise you it's really available to us but we have to really start working on i mean the the, the beginning of the whole thing as we've said before is being on time and being on time will start us allow to listen and when we can start to listen to people yeah we'll start to end up with an inner silence and when that inner silence becomes profound, then we'll find ourselves just knowing what to do, literally just knowing what to do. That's the point of this. And that is called the, the shlemus of Malchus Shemayim. Like we just said, when all the pieces are in sync under the Melech Malchus and Malachim Baruch that's what it's all going to look for. But we can be zeichet to that now before he comes as well. We really can, as well to Shem. Okay. So you've got one, re one real class left, which is going to be what is Hasidus next week, which is an important idea. Maybe I, it might be that we're not going to we're not going to be here next week. Yeah, it could be we're going to miss a week. Uh, we'll see. I'll let you know about that. Um, and then after that, we're going to do a Hazara of the being Jewish part, and then I think we, after that, we're going to do a Hazara of the whole the whole course. Um, and then there's going to be a, an exam. I'm just joking. <laughs> Maybe I'll try, I'll try and put a test together or something. But anyway, okay. Any questions? Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thank you. This My was God. fascinating. Okay. Okay. Thanks.